Good morning. I was a little nervous about making that step there. Okay. Hi, good morning, everybody. Welcome to Washera Community Church. My name is Carrie Kingston, and I would like to give an extra warm welcome to any of you who have been visiting maybe today for the first time, or those of you who have been coming um, once in a while here and there. We're so glad that you're here. Um, Washera Community Church is a gathered group of Christians who exists to give creative and meaningful worship to God and to discover and develop disciples of Jesus Christ. We strive to love God and love others fervently. Okay, we just have a couple of announcements today, one of which um, with the change in the way that we are gathering all together, if you uh, can um, move more towards the center of each section. That would be super helpful um, for those that are coming in um, to be able to find a seat. And if you look in front of you, you should see that there's a connection card. Um, we encourage you to fill those out and put them in the offering basket so that we can get to know you more. Um, if you are needing a hearing assist device, please see one of the sound texts in the back. Um, another announcement is that there is a men's breakfast on January 28th and the No Regrets Men's Conference um, live stream together with River Shores will be on February 4th. Um, and one more announcement, if you're interested in joining the worship team on stage as a musician or a vocalist or in the tech booth, um, you are invited to an onboarding meet up meeting with pizza tomorrow. So um, January 16th here in the lobby at 6 um, p.m. So if any of those things are of interest, make sure you take advantage of that. Um, and now I'd like to just open our service in prayer. So if you could bow your heads with me, please. Heavenly Father, I... I give you thanks and praise for today. I thank you that you've given us the ability to move and um, to use our voices and to breathe uh, you know, in air and, and to be with each other fellowshipping here um, another day. And Lord, I pray for those people who are um, recovering. Um, we are so thankful that Pastor Adam is recovering from his um, accident. Lord, and I pray that you continue to be with him as he's healing. Lord, um, you know what each of us need, um, but even more importantly um, than that, we we know that we need you. And so we just, we thank you for who you are, and we give you all praise and worship, and we look forward to worshiping you this morning. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Yes. A big amen. Amen. Big amen. It's great going through passages of, or going through the Bible and and then you start to see words, just like in that song. You can back this off just a little bit. Thanks, Mark. Um, it called Jesus the Roaring Lion in that song. And we had just uh, read uh, last week, we had just read uh, Resist Him, Firm in the Faith, of course, talking about Satan, knowing the same kinds of suffering. Uh, oh, wait, before that. Your adversary, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion. But in the song we sang about the roaring lion, the Lord Jesus Christ. Okay, so how do I get into this this morning? Um, I do want to say that we did get some more scripture journals. So if you did not get one of these on the first time around, 
uh, feel free to pick one up, First, Second Peter and Jude. Uh, we will, after a little bit of a break, be going into Second Peter. And so this is really a handy tool. It has the scripture on one side and a place to write some notes on the other side. And we've been walking with that through there. Um, but I thought I, I, I got a card from Bruce and Wilma. Remember what my last card said? Last card wanted to know how much I weighed. That gives you a clue. This, is, this Get Well card has been sanitized for your protection. Of course, there's no telling where the envelope has been. And then she writes, with that said, take care, get well soon, and look where you're going next time. Sending our love. Bruce and Wilma. Yes, thank you so much for all the prayers and cards and just everything that's been, it is totally my fault, okay? <laughs> really my fault. I'm still waiting to see the video. The guys say they're going to show it up on the big screen sometime. So, uh, but yeah, if you did not hear, I, Tuesday, I, I, I don't know exactly what I did other than I fell down a flight of stairs and, and, uh, I'm, and I broke or cracked four ribs. One of them cracked on both sides and, and, uh, did a number on my face and, and everything else. So I'm learning how to live this way and as I recover, but I want to thank you for your prayers. And you're saying, why are you up there preaching, Pastor Adam? And uh, it's kind of hard when you read in your scriptures that Paul got stoned, left for dead outside of the city gates. And what did he do? He went back inside and preached again. It's all hard when you have stuff like that in the scriptures. But we are finishing First Peter chapter, chapter First Peter today. So we're in First Peter chapter five, verses uh, twelve through fourteen, and th this is a really special Sunday for me, and also for you, um, if you've been here as we've been walking through this book together. It's really special for me every time that we're able to walk through a book of the Bible in this setting, in this kind of a setting, in a preaching setting that we've walked through it something together. And so today we're going we're gonna to complete that, that we started all the way back in June. Um, I do want to give just a little bit of a, um, a review from last week. I always like to do that. But in the sense that since we have such a great God, this is what we learned last week. Since we have such a great God who has a mighty hand, a strong and helping hand, who at the proper time, because he's in charge of time, at the proper time will exalt his own. This God cares for you. He has an affection for you. That he has given you all grace, all that affords you joy. He gives you joy. Those he has called, and he's called you by name. Where has he called you? He's called you into his eternal glory to be with him one day, those who are in Christ Jesus, those who are in Christ Jesus, and to get there, to be before your glorious God, he will restore, confirm, strengthen, and establish you to be in that place. And to that God, 
we give all glory and dominion forever and ever. Okay, so that's what we learned on God's side last week. On our side last week, we learned because we have that kind of a God, we humble ourselves. We humble ourselves. We put ourselves in a servant mode. We, we, we self-govern ourselves to humble ourselves before this great God. We cast all of our cares, all of our anxieties onto this God, onto this God. We therefore can be sober-minded. We can be calm and collective in whatever comes our way. As we be watchful, very watchful, we give strict attention to our relationship with the Lord. As we give strict relationship, er, attention to our relationship with the Lord, we resist Satan and temptation. We say no to it. We say no to it. And we stand firm in this faith that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of the living God, who came and died upon a tree for you and me. And we know, we know that there are others who are suffering too. We're not just in this world all by ourselves. God's got a big family. And at times there are those in the family of God who are suffering before being Christian. I'm suffering this morning, but it's not like what he's writing about. I hope we don't equate don't equate the two. What he's talking about is suffering because you are a Christian, because you are a follower of Jesus Christ. And even though I might suffer a little while while I'm here, I might suffer a little while while I'm here. I know my God has a place for me in heaven. That's what we learned last week, okay? Now, we get to the last three verses, the P.S. of 1 Peter, 1 Peter 5, 12 through 14. As I, and, and I titled this Last Instructions and Two Guys. So, you know, you get the idea. He ended the letter, and then he signs his name, kind of, and then he puts a little P.S. at the end, and he, he wants you to know just this little bit more. And so these last instructions and these two guys. So as I read it, if you want it, if you're in a scripture journal, you might want to indicate a couple things as I read this. He says, by Salvanius. So you could circle Salvanius because that's one of the guys. A faithful brother. Calls him a faithful brother. So you could take us, take and make a, a line and an arrow from Salvanius to brother because he calls him his brother. As I regard him, I've written to you briefly. Uh, briefly to you, exhorting and declaring. Might want to put a couple lines under exhorting and declaring. Those are the two things he's he's pointing that out. This is why he wrote this letter: exhorting and declaring that this is the true grace of God. Now that true grace, you probably want to put a box around that one. True grace of God. Stand firm in it. She who is at Babylon, you might want to put a question mark somewhere there. Like, what is that? Question mark there. Who is likewise chosen sends you greeting, and so does Mark. Put a circle around Mark. There's our second guy, my son. So make an arrow down to son from Mark. Greet one another with the kiss of love. Put a box around love. And then last, peace, put a box around peace, peace to all of you who are in Christ. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you for the reading of your word. Thank you for the word made flesh. 
And thank you this morning, Lord, for the Holy Spirit that guides us in your truth. Help us to understand your truth this day. In thy precious name, amen. Amen. So going back to it, by Silvanus or, or Silas, and it makes you stop and say, who is this man? And why would Paul call him a faithful brother? And I put a whole bunch of the scriptures up there. I'm not going to read them all, but I would like to read that, that first one, Acts chapter 15, um, where we get an introduction to this man named Silas and who was he uh, during that time. So in Silas or Acts chapter 15, starting at verse 22, it says, Then the apostles and elders with the whole church decided to choose some of their own men and send them to Antioch with Paul and Barnabas. And they chose Judas, uh, called Barsabbas, and Silas, two men who were leaders among the brothers. So here we find Silas, a leader in the New Testament church in Jerusalem. And if you just keep walking through this in verses 30 and then verses 39, we not only see him in Jerusalem, but then he travels with Paul and Barnabas to Antioch. Then after he's in Antioch, he's sent back. We find him also in uh, Syria. And then I always say this wrong, Cecilia. Um, and then in Acts chapter 16, we find him in with Paul in Philippi. And when he's in Philippi, he's seized with Paul. He's attacked with Paul. He's thrown in prison with Paul. And at midnight, what do we find Paul and Silas doing? Singing. He's a singer. He's a singer. After the earthquake and after they go and tell the jailer and his family how how to be saved, how to be saved, they come to release them. And, and we find out that not only is Paul a Jewish man, but a Roman citizen, we find out Silas is also Jewish, but also a Roman citizen. In Acts chapter 17, uh, verse 4, then we find him in Thessalonica. And I didn't put this one up there, but also in Acts chapter 17, uh, verse 14, uh, the brothers immediately sent Paul to the coast, but Silas and Timothy stayed in Berea. Uh, the men who escorted Paul brought him to Athens and left him with instruction for Silas and Timothy to join him as soon as possible. So he's in Berea. Then in 2 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 19, we find him in Corinth. And then in 1 Thessalonians and 2 Thessalonians there, it's just an indication again that he was there. Now, we find him in Rome with Peter. We find him in Rome in Peter. And where is he headed to? If you have to go back to chapter 1, verse 1, where we started. Peter, an apostle of Jesus Christ, to those who are elect exiles in the dispersion in Pontius, Galatia, Cappadocia, Asia, and Bithynia. So here you kind of get a picture. Wow, this Silas is everywhere. And you can understand why Peter would call him a faithful brother as I regard him, a faithful brother as I regard him, because his life has been a, a life of faithfulness of spreading the gospel of Jesus Christ and going and serving and, and being alongside of not only Paul, but now also alongside of Peter during this time. If you stay for the come for more and going deeper classes, um, that's going to be one of the questions. Do you have a Silas, a Silvanius in your life? Do you have somebody that you point to that you say, that person has been a faithful brother, a faithful sister to me in Christ. And we have walked a long life together as brother and sister in Christ. And when I look at them, 
I see someone who was faithful unto God. I see someone faithful unto God. And I pray that you would have someone like that in your life. Um, maybe more, many. And, and of course, hopefully that's your spouse. And, and hopefully maybe you grew up in a family, you know, a, a church home where you had that as parent. And I, I did have all of that. But in my first church, and being assigned there, you know, 21 years old, and, you know, like, knew I knew everything then. Um, yeah, that was, that's a joke. Uh, yeah. Uh, but it came across a lady named Barb Aldridge, who was in her 80s at that time, 70s, 80s, must have been right, right around there. And um, I met a sister in the Lord. I met somebody who, who, who uh, wasn't being paid, but this was their church. And this was their family. And, and Barb was such a, a, a one that loved the Lord so much. And we walked along life together uh, during that time that we were there. And so I, I want you to be thinking about that. Who, who has God brought aside, uh, alongside of me? Who has, is a faithful brother or sister? Who We've walked together with the Lord together. Now, you'll see Peter's humbleness here. Oh, the humble yourselves. He's told us that a couple times now in this passage of scripture. Um, Peter says, humble yourself or, or all of you be in humility toward one another. Peter does this again. Um, one example of that is that chapter five, verse one. I exhort you as elders among you as a fellow elder. He doesn't put himself above the other elders, even though he's been a witness of Jesus Christ. He says, no, as a fellow elder, as one that is walked as is same as you, same as you. And then a little farther, he says, as well as a partaker in the glory that's going to be revealed. I'm, I'm going to share in that with you. It's not mine's going to be different. I'm going to share in that with you. Well, here, what does he do with Silas? Does he put himself above Silas? No, he says a faithful brother as I regard him. And. And it's interesting when you think about Peter, because if you think about him in the Gospels, what's the picture you get of Peter in the Gospel? And he's a loudmouth. I mean, he's always the first one to speak. And sometimes he's the one where Jesus has to come along and correct him at times. But wow, what a transformation has happened in Peter's life that now he, he steps back from that. He says, Salvanius, a faithful brother a faithful brother as I regard him. I have written briefly to you. I put down there, well, it's been 17 sermons that we've taken and seven months for us to get through this book. Uh, 105 verses, uh, 1,684 words. I have written briefly to you, exhorting and declaring. And I had you underline both of those. There's two different things that are being said there. He said, I exhorted you. I, I taught you along the way, teaching. And that word exhorting means to call to one side. It has the aspect of encouragement. I'm, I want to encourage you. Many times as we've read through this book, you saw the word beloved, beloved. And he calls out and he says, beloved, I want to urge you. And so he's, he's taught that way. He's written that way. But then he's also did the declaring, the preaching end of it. He has declared, I'm a witness. I bear witness. Uh, I'm, a mar I'm a martyr for Jesus Christ. Because I serve a risen Lord and I've seen the risen Lord. So you see both of those aspects in this letter. Him coming up alongside of you, 
saying, I want to encourage you in your walk with the Lord, but I'm standing here declaring this. And he does it again in these next few verses here. When he says this, that this is the true grace of God. This is the true grace of God. What is the true grace of God? This is that I have written briefly to you. So what he has briefly written to you, he says, I'm explaining, is the true grace of God. This is the main point of the whole book. So if we go back to chapter 1, verse 10. Chapter 1, verse 10. He says, concerning the salvation, the prophets who prophesied about the grace, there it is, that was to be yours, searched and inquired carefully, inquiring what person or time the Spirit of Christ in them was indicating when he predicted the sufferings of Christ and the subsequent glories. The true grace of God is Jesus Christ. The true grace of God is Jesus Christ. That God sent His Son, Jesus Christ. In verse 13, therefore preparing your minds for action and being sober-minded, set your hope fully on the grace that was brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. Let me go to the next one. Um, well, I don't have this one on there, but chapter 2, verse 5 and through 7. Actually, 6. Chapter 2, verse 6. For it stands in the Scriptures, Behold, I am laying in Zion a stone. God is laying in Zion a stone, a cornerstone chosen and precious. And whoever believes in Him, who is Him? Jesus. Whoever believes in Him will not be put to shame. And the next part of the verse, so the honor is for you who believe. Who? What is the true grace of God? The true grace of God is Jesus, Jesus Christ. If we go to chapter 3, verse 7, see some instruction to the, the husbands. Likewise, husbands, live with your wives in an understanding way, showing an honor to the woman as the weaker vessel, since they are heirs with you of the grace of life. Who gives life? Jesus. And that, that men and women, Jew or Greek, slave or free, can be heirs of the grace of life. Heirs of the grace of life. Then we go to verse chapter 4. Um, well, wait. Before we go there. Verse 18 of chapter 3. For Christ also suffered once for sin, the righteous for the unrighteous, that he might bring us to God, being put to death in the flesh, but made alive in the spirit. How are we brought before God? Only through Jesus Christ. The grace, the true grace of God is Jesus Christ in him alone. He says in that to stand firm. I'm thankful that our scripture journals have Jude in it. And in Jude chapter 1 verse 4 it says, For certain people have crept in unnoticed long ago were designated for this condemnation. Ungodly people who pervert the grace of God. They pervert the grace of God into sensuality and deny our only master and Lord. What's his name? Jesus Christ. He says, this is the true grace of God. Stand firm in it. That word, that phrase, to cause, to make, to stand, to 
place to put to set. And so you get this idea, it's an active standing. It's just not that I'm just, well, yeah, I'm kind of occupying this space right now. No, you are set your feet. You have set your position that you are standing firm that the true grace of God is Jesus Christ. He is my Savior and my Lord. It's always good to go back to Ephesians chapter 2. When we talk about this, Ephesians chapter 2, verses 8 through 10, you know, many of you will know this. For it is by grace you have been saved. Can you put Jesus' name in there? For it is by Jesus you've been saved. Jesus, you've been saved through faith. And that this is not from yourselves. No, somebody gave it to you. And this is not from yourself. It is a gift of God. God gave you this gift. Not by works. So no one can boast. We're not going down that road. And then he says, for we are God's workmanship created in Christ Jesus to do good works. So those who are saved, those who are saved because of Jesus Christ, that is what we do. We are people of good works because we have been saved by him, which God prepared in advance for us to do. He wants them to know that what he has written is the true grace of God and that we are to stand firm in it. Then you get to that verse 13. She who is in Babylon. Now, there's a lot of questions about, like, who is she and everything else. Most believe, most of the scholars believe that what Peter is doing at this time is writing in code, kind of. Because remember, they're persecuted Christians. They're being persecuted for being Christian. And they're being persecuted by Rome. So most believe that she, feminine, singular, like John wrote in Second John, is the church. It represents the church. Um, we're the bride of Christ. So we're in the feminine. Um, she, the church, who is at Babylon. Now, Babylon's another code word. Babylon was the center of world power at one time, but it's not now, not at that time. It's not, it's in ruins, actually. But Babylon was a way of saying Rome, because Rome now is the center of power. And so the church that is in Rome, who likewise chosen, that helps us to understand that what he's talking about is saved people, because that's how he introduced them back in chapter 1, verse 1, as elect exiles or chosen exiles. And then if you go to chapter 2, verse 9, he says it again. He uses that word, but you are a chosen race. When he's talking to the church, he's saying you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people after his own possessions that you may proclaim the excellencies who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light, um, kind of thing. So the church in Rome um, sends you greetings. Now, that means draw to oneself. and But this is a long distance one, and it's actually said in third person. So he's saying, he's saying this church in Rome that is also saved, is sending you greetings long distance to where you are and wanting you to know that they are they they feel for you, they're thinking about you, 
they're praying for you, um, that, that we are connected, even though there's miles apart in between us, we are connected because of our relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ. Uh, one of the other questions that's going to be on your sheet is, how do we do that today? Do we do that enough of that today? Do we realize that we are connected not only here, but to the churches in, in uh, Selma, Alabama, that are maybe ma doing makeshift operations right now, trying to figure out where they're going to worship this morning because their, their church was hit by a tornado or something like that. You know, do we realize that we, have been, we are connected with them? We are connected with all the Christians all the way around the world because we are one family. And, and here Peter wants them to know that the church in Rome is reaching out to them with their greetings. This greeting of, man, I wish I could draw you to myself right now. And that we need to do more of that. We need to figure out how to do that. And actually, we can probably do it better now than we've ever could in, in the past, in the different ways that we have to make sure that we are connected with Christians all around the world. Okay, so that third person. Then he says, and so Mark, my son. So there's the second person, Mark. And Mark is also sending greetings. Um, who is Mark? I won't read through all of these, but Acts chapter 12, we find out that his mother uh, is using their home um, for a prayer meeting place. Peter's in prison. He gets released by the angel. And where does he go? He goes to this home where the church is praying. And so Mark is there. Mark goes on the first mission with Paul and Barnabas. He, um, but on that first mission with Paul and Barnabas, there's a certain point where he, he jumps ship. He heads back home. You get the sense from that passage of scripture that there's some immaturity in this guy named Mark. You know, he, he got a little homesick or whatever, but he went back home kind of thing. In Acts chapter 15, um, there, Paul and Barnabas are going to go out again and Barnabas says, let's take Mark. And Paul goes, are you crazy? We're not going to take him. He jumped ship last time. And there's such a disagreement between the two of them, between Paul and Barnabas, the great duo, that, that Barnabas takes Mark, and they go to Cyprus, and Paul takes Silas and, and heads the other direction. In Colossians chapter 4, I will read this one. Uh, Colossians chapter 4, we come up again with him. Chapter 4, verse 10, when Paul is in prison, he says, My fellow prisoner, Aristarchus, sends his greetings, as does Mark, the cousin of Barnabas. You have received instructions about him. If he comes to you, welcome him. So, whoa, whoa, something happened. Well, we don't know how it happened or when it happened or, or anything else, but we have indication there. Not only do we find out that Mark is the cousin of Barnabas, so there's a great affection there for this man. But we find him back with Paul again. Here Paul's in prison, and where's Mark? Mark's alongside of him. Alongside of him. In 2 Timothy chapter 4, this is some of Paul's last words. And he says in verse 11, Only Luke is with me. Get Mark. Get Mark. And bring him with you because he is helpful to me in my ministry. Wow, there's some transformation that's happened that he, he didn't want anything to do with Mark. And now, later on in his ministry, here is Mark coming up alongside of him in prison. And then even Paul is calling out, 
bring Mark with you. He's really valuable. He's really valuable to me. And then in Philemon chapter 24, he's called a fellow worker of Paul. A fellow worker of Paul. Now, on your sheet again, in, um, in class, who's your Mark? You, you identify as Silas or Silvanius, you know, someone who's walked alongside of you, a faithful brother or sister in Christ, walk alongside of you. Who is your Mark? Who is the person that, um, that God's put in your path that, that you are helping them grow in their faith? And, and you're specifically talking to them about the Lord. And I tell you, and maybe they maybe they are a little immature, in the sense spiritually immature, but you're there and you're feeding them the word of God. Who's your who's your mark? Who's God put in your path to be a mark before you? Then he says, verse 14, you've all been waiting for this one. Greet one another with a kiss of love, right? When I t- who'd I tell that to? Oh, I told it to the transition team. Yeah, Phil just ran with that. What are we going to do on Sunday? Yeah, make an out. Greet one another. Again, again, draw to oneself. That's what it means, greet. Draw to oneself. Now it's in the second person. It's local. It's not talking about greeting somebody who's far away. It's talking about some- greeting somebody who's in the same room with a kiss. And kiss means an affection for, to wish well. An affection to wish well. So if you were going to kiss somebody in that context, you were wishing them well. Wishing them well. This is why um, I didn't put it up there, but the, the famous kiss of the Bible. Do you know what the famous kiss of the Bible is? Judas, yes. Listen, listen to this. Matthew 26. Uh, 47 through 49. While he was still speaking, Jesus was still speaking, Judas, one of the 12, arrived, and with him was a large crowd armed with swords and clubs uh, sent from the chief priests and the elders of the people. Now the betrayer had arranged a signal with them. uh, The one one I kiss, the one I wish well, the one I wish well is the man, arrest him. And going once to Jesus, Judas said, Greetings, Rabbi, Rabbi," and kissed him. Meaning, I wish you well. I wish you well. Now, if we jump over to Luke's account of this, we have a little interchange here where Jesus responds back to him. Luke chapter 22, and starting in verse 47. While he was still speaking, a crowd came up, and the man who was called Judas, one of the twelve leading them, approached Jesus to kiss him. And then Jesus responds, but Jesus asked him, Judas, Judas, are you betraying the Son of Man with a kiss? With this sign of affection saying you're wishing me well? Is that what you're doing? It says, greet one another, draw to one another, and, and show an appropriate way of telling the other person that you wish them well, the kiss of love, the kiss of love. And that word is agape. And it's, it means this kind of love that I have a great love for, I mean, above myself. I think of you more than I think of myself. I'm thinking of you more than I'm thinking of myself. Almost along the same lines of the word bless. When we say bless the other person, you are keeping in contact that you, even if they are reviling against you, if you bless them, 
you are keeping focus that they are a creation of God. And I am to love them. Even if they would be deemed my enemy, I am to love them. So that's the kind of love that's here. He's saying that when we get together, that we are to have such an affection of well-wishing for one another that we are going to show that appropriately, appropriately in our setting, um, that we truly are so much thankful that we're in their presence, in that person's presence. Uh, first twenty, uh, chapter one, verse twenty-two um, was command number four, and I think this is just a you know a topper onto that command that was horizontal when it said having purified your souls by the obedience to the truth for a sincere brotherly love, love one another earnestly from a pure heart. Love one another for, from a pure heart. Last, and, and I guess we could ask ourselves, have we been doing that? How do we do that? How do we increase that? How do we, how do we um, greet one another? That it, it, I mean, we get hung up on the kiss kind of thing. But how do we greet one another in that vein when we come together? That we are so much in love with Christ and his children that we get to meet another one. And we get to meet up. Peace to all of you who are in Christ Jesus. Peace, a state of national uh, national uh, tranquility. So it's like a peace that has come over. I probably shouldn't have made that move. A peace that has come over uh, all of us, all of you. Um, it's uh, you all, you all. So it's speaking to the whole group. But as I speak to the whole group, I'm speaking to each person individually. So it's like double duty there. He has said that you all uh, three times. One time in the unity of mind, that we would all have unity of mind, a, a, an attitude or a focal point that Jesus is our focal point. The second one was a humility toward one another that we would put on servanthood. And then the third one is a you all with this peace, with a harmony, that there would be a harmony that would hover over all of us, over all of us. And I would say I made you put boxes around three words. These are the backbones of a healthy church. These are the backbones of the healthy church. I had you put a box around true grace that that there is a grace, the true grace, is Jesus Christ. And the backbone of a healthy church is that we hold on to that true grace, that we hold on to the gospel of Jesus Christ. That's number one. The second one is brotherly love. Backbone of a church is that there is love that is shown between its members as we gather together. You know, I would, I would, you know, he's not going to commend me for how well I preach. He's going to commend me on how well I love. How well did I love? Backbone of a church. And then the third one, harmonious peace. That we have harmonious peace as we gather together. Because of unity of mind, because we are focused on Jesus Christ. Focused on Jesus Christ. I want to read one more verse, and I want to tell you one more story. So if you want to flip over to Colossians chapter 1. Colossians chapter 1. I did want to tell you the story about um, 
uh, I told you about Barb as a brother or sister in Christ. I wanted to tell you about my Mark, one of them. His name is Kim. He's a man. Kim. And he got dragged into church one Sunday by his wife into the back row. And um, that Sunday, there was a, a guy in the church that was, he was getting up to summertime. said, hey, let's get together a bunch of people that want a bike ride uh, every Tuesday night. And let's do a bike ride. And then while we're out bike riding, we can stop and we can pray and, and stuff like that. But it would be a great time to do that. And how many people would like to do that? He, and he said, and, and a bunch of people raised their hand. And Kim in the back row, sh his hand shot right up. And he, as he tells the story, he says, I, I was like, wait, why is my hand up? You know, kind of thing. He, I mean, he likes to ride bikes, but like I'm in church. It's the first time I'm here. Why is my hand up? Kind of thing. And so he showed up on Tuesday. And actually, he showed up every Tuesday. And as many things happen, um, those groups get smaller and smaller and smaller, you know, as things go along. And so we got down to the last month, uh, August, September, October, as we were still riding bikes. Lots of times, you know who it was? Just the two of us. Just Adam and Kim, side by side, many miles, riding along with one another, answering all types of questions about the scriptures. We didn't have to stop, you know, and pray. We could pray while we were riding, kind of thing. But Kim was my mark that God brought along. Someone to help grow in the faith and to be able to see him uh, one day even, even do his mother's funeral. And uh, I was sitting right down here, you know, down front while he was kind of talking about his mom. And then when he got to the end of talking about his mom, he just shared the gospel with everybody that was in the room. And as I was sitting down there, I was like, what am I going to say? I got nothing to say. But I'm like, whoa. The guy that, you know, raised his hand in the back row. The guy that raised his hand in the back row. I want to read you this very powerful passage. Colossians chapter 1, starting at verse 19. The first two verses are about what God has done. For God was pleased to have all His fullness, all God's fullness, dwell in Him meaning Jesus Christ. All his fullness dwell in him and through him to reconcile to himself. And so through Jesus Christ to reconcile to himself, God, all things, whether on things on earth or things in heaven, by making peace with his, what? Blood. Blood shed on the cross. Now these two verses tell you God's plan. This is how God planned it out. That God was going to put all his fullness into this one, Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ was to die on the cross. And, and through him, that you would be reconciled to God. Verse 21. Now you, and sometimes I like to put my name in there. Now you, Adam Wolfgang, were alienated from God. And were enemies in your mind, Adam Wolfgang. Because of your evil behavior, Adam Wolfgang. <laughs> but now he has reconciled you, God has reconciled by Christ's physical body through death to present you holy in his sight. How am I saved? Through Jesus Christ. Without blemish and free from accusation. Whoa, how, how much am I saved? All the way. 
if you continue in your faith, established and firm, not moved from the hope held out in this gospel, this is the gospel you have heard that you have been proclaimed to you, to every creature under heaven, and of which I, Paul, have become a servant. Peter wants us to know the gospel. Peter wants us to know the true grace of God. Peter wants us to know Jesus. And remember, as I said from the very beginning, he's talking to persecuted Christians. And he's telling these persecuted Christians, where do you keep your focus when you're being persecuted? On Jesus Christ. You keep it on the salvation that you have received. It doesn't matter how persecuted you get. You serve a God. You serve a God who will restore, confirm, strengthen, and establish you. You serve a God who will take you to, to the other side. All the way to the other side. And that we, that we would be a church, and I'll end it there, we would be a church of true grace. That we would be a church that stands on the truth that Jesus is the grace of God. Jesus is the only way. The way, the truth, and life. No one comes to the Father but by me. That we would be a church of brotherly love. That we would have an affection for one another. We would be so thankful to see one another in our, in our very presence. That we're with another brother or sister in Christ. And that we would have a harmonious peace that would be over us. Because we are part of this family that, we, that he has put together. And we would sense that harmonious peace. But now. Now and forever. Now and forever. Worship team, come on up and we'll sing our final song. I'm sorry. Couldn't preach at my normal pace this morning. But uh, would you stand with us? Hmm? Oh, yes, Stephanie. Thank you so much. Would you stand? So I got an email this morning. I want to tell you about this. Um, Emily and Matthew that we've been praying about that have the twins. And they're and they're waiting until um, uh, they're hoping until June or January 23 before in inducing them um, the water broke. Uh, but they were able to get everything under control and she's at the hospital and everything is set and she'll be there now. And she's praising the Lord for all the different people that have come to their aid and, and the babies are all fine and everything else. But they, she said, you know, just keep praying for us. As we walk through this together. So I got that this morning. Thank you, Stephanie. That let's pray for Emily and Matthew right now. Heavenly Father, thank you for this young couple that are part of our church. And thank you, Lord, for blessing them with these uh, two uh, two babies. And Lord, we know that this uh, is kind of tricky. Um, and a lot of things in place and play. And thank you for all the, all the medical people that you have in place uh, to help them in their time of need. But we do pray, Lord, for uh, the maturity of time needed uh, in Emily's womb um, for these children to be born uh, healthy and to develop and to grow. Uh, we know that their parents love you and, and they are leaning on you and calling out to you. And so, Lord, help us to continue to call out. May, Lord, even this morning, uh, I felt the affection of the body of Christ for this couple. I pray that, that we have that more and more and more as a body of Christ. In my precious name, amen. amen. I turned it off. <laughs> so, <laughs>
<laughs> well, you could probably hear me if I spoke in my normal voice. Uh, as I was uh, contemplating what Jesus' disciples went through in their life in this last song about the storm, it reminds me of a plaque that my wife has on our porch wall. It's a secular plaque, but I think it's appropriate. And it goes, life is not about surviving the storm, but about dancing in the rain. And we've got so much to dance about this week, but not down the stairs. <laughs> flat, flat surface. We've got so much to be thankful for. The love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, forgiveness, goodness, all the, all the hope that Jesus brings us. So let's this week dance in the rain. Uh, reminder, uh, uh, the uh, uh, going deeper. Don't forget to go to your group tonight, today. If uh, I'm sure one of the ushers can tell you where, where the different groups are if you don't have one established already. So go in peace.